spin your passion into a business of Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. And it's that time for the Jack Riccardi Show. And here is the one, the only Jack Riccardi. As far as we know, it's <laughs> just a guess. I think there's a. I think there's somebody using my name like in uh, like in you know Romania or something. But anyway, um, I love this story today, Christian. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm so glad the guy's all right. This 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 man that worked at the main state capitol, and he was walking back into the building, and a piece of a of a jetliner fell out of the sky. Yeah, slammed into the earth just like five or six feet away from him. Now, is this going to make you look up more often when you're walking outside? I'm just curious. Uh, no, I mean, I look. You can't. There's nothing you can do about this. If this, if it's your day, you know. Yeah. yeah. You, it's not like you can dodge it. Like, oh, here it comes. You know. But I just, I was thinking, like, you know, you get home from work. How was your day? Well, <laughs> wouldn't you like to know? <laughs> let me tell you. Uh, and I think they're gonna. They're trying to figure out which plane. Everybody's saying all their planes are intact so far but um i think the guys should be able to keep this you know once they're done with the investigation don't you think i mean if you're going to tell this story for the rest of your life you need to have that part hey what's fair is fair yeah you know i think you should get to they should give it back to him yep i not agree gonna put it then i could put it back on the plane obviously so <laughs> no. um or maybe not so obviously i don't know i should never i should never talk about airplanes or uh flying them or anything because when i first came to ktsa i got in a lot of trouble for doing that i'll have to tell that story uh later on but anyhow uh welcome to our dreadful little show good afternoon jack riccardi at ktsa i i don't watch when this show ends at seven o'clock the last thing i want to do is watch more political talk i mean we we do it we're here i'm doing it all day so Typically, I don't watch a lot of, like, Fox or whatever at night, but I, I, I'm kind of familiar with who's on and what they say. I've seen enough of the, the people on at night to, to know them. And I know that Laura Ingram, uh, who's on a couple of hours after our show ends, I know she's very pro-Trump, right? She, she, she likes him. She's interviewed him many times. So this is interesting. Laura Ingram was uh, being interviewed on a podcast and she says that uh, people might be getting ready to move on from Trump. Um, she says that uh, people might be uh, getting tired. The country, I think, is so exhausted. They're exhausted by the battle, the constant battle, that they may believe it's time to turn the page. If we can get someone who has all Trump's policies who's not Trump. Uh, what do you think about that? We've talked about this a little bit in recent in recent days. Is is the exhaustion with Trump and the fact that that to support him or to defend him is you're 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 constantly it's a constant you know heavy lift. Is that something that people will say? You know what? It's just not worth it. I'm, he did. He did what he did, and I'm glad he did it. And I voted for him. But now, are you exhausted? Laura Ingram thinks you're exhausted. Or are you thinking, hey, you know, 
it, the, the fight will go on whether it's him or not. The people that want to stop him really want to stop me and you. And it won't get any easier just because there's someone else's name on the ballot. What do you think about that? 210-599-5555. And then people are noticing some of the others on Fox. And again, I don't watch this, but like Fox and Friends, people have been noticing that Steve Ducey is starting to say things directly to Trump. Trump watches Fox and Friends, or he used to at least. And Ducey is uh, telling him on the air, you need to uh, speak out against these threats made uh, to the FBI. So, uh, again, I... I'm I'm not really interested in in getting into Laura Ingram or Steve Ducey as much as I just are you buying into this exhaustion thing or or what? Tell me how you feel about it. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. And by the way, um, all the polling indicates that people across the board. I've looked at several polls where they you know men, women, different age groups, different uh, ethnicities and races. People are taking a pretty dim view. Large pluralities or majorities of people are taking a pretty dim view of the Mar-a-Lago raid. So tonight we will get the results in the Wyoming uh, primary, and everybody presumes that Congresswoman Liz Cheney will be bounced from Congress tonight. Uh, But apparently there are some people in Wyoming today, like one of the political editors for their, their newspaper, is saying, maybe not. Even though the polls show her Republican opponent up by 25 to 30%, apparently it's a very low turnout state, and it's going to be a small number of voters, they think. And they wonder if maybe Republicans in Wyoming have been hearing for so long that Cheney is toast and it's already over, that there'll be this complacency. That would be... That would be an earthquake if people decided not to bother because they were so sure it was going to happen, and then it didn't happen. In fact, the ultimate punishment, I think, for Liz Cheney would be if she did get renominated, because I think she's already picked out her next move, don't you? I mean, I can, this is very clear to me, and I'm not saying I have inside information. It's just obvious that she's going to run for president in 2024, either as a Republican or as a independent or as a Democrat, or she's going to be on the Democratic ticket with whoever the Democrats run, like maybe Gavin Newsom or Kamala Harris. I mean, it's so obvious to me that the last thing I would expect in 2024 is that Liz Cheney would still be the congressman from uh, from Wyoming. But you know what I'm getting tired of? Speaking of tired, and I don't know if, if you've thought about this or how you feel about it, but I'm getting a little sick and tired of how they keep talking about how Liz Cheney is so noble and honorable and complicated and nuanced and she's she's able to keep her head and still be a conservative and realize that Trump is is bad for the country, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I, I guess I just take a different view of this. And you can tell me what you think. I, I think she just hates him. <laughs> it's not complicated at all. I've known people like this all my life. And when they hate someone, that hate becomes their, their filter. It's, it's like they put on glasses and everything they look at around them, they see through the hate glasses. You know, a person can make hating you 
their reason for living. They can make hating you their, their religion. They can make hating you their what gets me out of bed in the morning. And I think Liz Cheney hates him. And I think she hates him in a way that a lot of upper crust establishment Republicans hate him. They hate that he ruined their deal. They had a deal with you. You know, before Trump, Republicans could tell you they would do stuff and not do it. And you'd vote for him. And when they didn't get it done, you wouldn't be mad at them. You'd say, well, they tried. Media bias. This, you know, they, you, you would accept their excuses. You would accept that your side would always come up short. You were like Avis. We're never number two. We try harder. And Trump ruined that. Trump made Republicans actually do things they had always said they would do. He made them cast votes, go on the record. They hate it. Even, even I'm going to tell you right now, even some of the ones that are doing it, that you think of as the quote-unquote good Republicans, he forced them to. They didn't want to. People like Liz Cheney hate him for that reason alone. There's probably other reasons. I mean, he's, he's not a very nice guy to people he opposes or who oppose him. And again, she probably she's probably overheard him saying stuff about her, or people have told her, he called you this, he called you that. But But... Let's not anoint her as some kind of courageous hero. She's just a guy that hates, just a woman that hates Trump. It's it's not complicated at all. And hating someone is okay. You're free to hate whoever you want to hate, but it doesn't ennoble you. It doesn't make you a a, a hero. It's it's kind of a pathetic uh, way to organize your your life. I, I worked with a guy who um. This is a little off the topic, but it's kind of comparable. This this guy got fired um, from the radio station, and he was so bent out of shape about it that he started up a new radio station. And the new radio station really had no purpose other than it was a vehicle for his anger and not surprisingly it was a flop it was a total failure because that's not an attractive proposition for people hey i think i'll turn on that station that hates the other station or that you know it it didn't it didn't have a it didn't have a plus factor or a positive uh draw It, it existed out of his uh, emotional reaction to what had happened to him. He wanted you to buy into what, and, and, and people didn't. And, and to me, Liz Cheney is just somebody who, there's no Cheneyism. There's no, uh, she doesn't have a plan. She, she may run for president, but what, what does she stand for other than hating him, opposing him? And I just don't think that's going to fly. I could be wrong. We may all be sitting here in a couple of years going, boy, Jack got that one wrong. But I, I, don't, I don't really see it. Tell me what you think. 210-599-5555. And there's news from the automotive world today. Uh, the, uh, the folks at Dodge have announced the end of the V8 muscle car. They're discontinuing the Dodge Challenger and Charger. The Challenger is the two-door. The Charger is the four-door. They don't all have eight cylinders. You can get them with, four, with uh, six cylinders. But... Um, these are the cars in which they stuff the Hemi, and these are the cars that have been the image makers for for Dodge. And these are the these are true American muscle cars. They're rear wheel drive, and they're V eight powered, and they make noise. And 
Uh, they're not going to have V8s anymore. They're going to uh, wind them down at the end of next year. A lot of people are saying that's it. You know, that's the end of the, the, the road for V8s and for muscle cars. What do you think about that? What, what, what do you drive? Like, how many cylinders are under the hood of what you drive? That was our question we asked on the JR poll today. We're getting a ton of votes. We're talking about uh, how many cylinders you have under the hood, and that's not a sexual uh, reference. I mean, literally. Um, because Dodge has announced the last call for their V8-powered uh, Charger and Challenger. They'll wind them down at the end of next year. And I was reading, it's, it's interesting how they're going to do this. They're going to um, make it so that all the, the remaining, the final year uh, of production all goes to the, the dealers so that people aren't, like, going around getting, you know, gouged by this dealer because, you know, he only has three of them or whatever. So they're going to make it so you can buy your, if you want to get, the, you know, your last year of the Charger or the Challenger with the V8, you can buy it from any uh, dealer they have in the country. But, uh, look, you know what? This is not over. It, it, they're sounding like it is, but it's not. Um, I'm telling you, when the political winds turn, and they will, you have not seen the last of gasoline-powered cars. You've not seen the last, I, I would imagine, even of V8-powered cars. Maybe the last for now, but I, I've I've been a, a car buff my whole life. I, I remember the last convertible, I remember, remember, and the last sports car, and the last this, and the last that, and we're never going to have these again, and we're never going to do this. And I just I don't buy it. But people will buy these. These will become collectors' items. Probably a lot of them will never get driven. They'll get put into storage right away. So how many uh, cylinders are in your daily driver, 210-599-5555, and will you miss V8s if they go away for a while? Uh, Stephen is on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Stephen, good afternoon. Hey, how are you doing, Jack? Good, sir. How are you? I'm doing excellent. Uh, and I'm going to say that this is political. It is very much political. Uh, the government's trying to force us to buy something that we don't want. And I just found a year 2000 um, Lincoln Town Car with a V8 under the hood, mm-hmm. and it has 108,000 miles on it, and I chose to buy that. Now I'm looking for a pickup truck, too, and first thing is you can't get a Ford or a Chevy unless you get one of the new Chevrolet four-cylinders in a, in a mm. full-size Silverado. Mm. And they say that's the only thing that's on on the showroom floor that you can actually get because mm. nobody wants it. And they yeah. tried to sell me one, and I said, for the very first time I'm about to purchase, I'm going to buy either a Toyota Tundra, uh, not a Toyota Tundra, a Toyota um, the midsize the Tacoma? or a Nissan Frontier. Tacoma or a Frontier. And I'm, you know, they're going to lose their base. And it's because of of the the government trying to force us to buy something that we don't want. I agree. I agree. Uh, And look, even they're they're even showing their hand. And the way that they're phasing them out, this, this announcement about the V8 cars, if this was such a bad thing, they just let them go. 
to make a big party and make a big deal out of this is the last year tells you they know these are popular. They know people want them. Stephen, thank you for the call. Uh, Tim is on KTSA. Tim, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jack. Um, I drive a 2011 Shelby GT500. It's uh, got the 550 horsepower. And I can tell you that what I'm seeing is a lot of manufacturers are going to that EcoBoost, you mm-hmm. know, the V6 and even the mm-hmm. four-cylinder uh, yep. turbos. Um, but if you take a look, because I go to a lot of car shows, and if you look at the makeup of the people at car shows, they are V8 people for the majority yep. of them. About the muscle car people, and they are conservative. <laughs> I haven't met one yet that's a liberal Democrat, and I don't mean to be putting a you know a broad blanket over everybody, but yeah. they are all just good old boys, you know, in their sixties like me that are driving V8s, go to shows, and um, they just will never buy a, a EcoBoost or a six-cylinder a muscle car. I, I agree, and I mean, don't get me wrong; those those uh, EcoBoosts with the turbos and the fours are really sweet. Powertrains. They're, I ha, I ha, I've had a couple of them in the right car. They're they're fantastic, but they're not muscle cars. No one thinks they are. No one can pretend they are. And and again, people want the the choice. Some people will be fine with the four cylinder. Some people will be, people will be fine with the three cylinder. But um, these car companies know deep down that that this is not what the public wanted. This was not responding to to demand. And the fact that they are being so careful with the final year tells you everything you need to know if this was something that had you know was past its prime or past its expiration date if they were like embarrassed that they were still making these they would just quietly let them dwindle away that's what they do but when they make these big pre-announcements about how they're going to sell them and the availability and we're going to guard against markups they they know there will be a run on these and again we've seen this before we've been told before this is it they're never going to make this again you're never going to see these again the convertible's been dead like 3 times you know 210 599 55 larry is on ktsa hi larry hey jack hey i got a blast from the past it's not a v8 but a 1984 buick grand national mm-hmm. i'll put it up against a v8 a turbo 6 yeah uh, yep uh, 3.8, 90-degree V6 there, and uh, she's treated me you Is that what you drive now? Is that your car now? Uh, no, I drive a, a Chevy Silverado, but, uh, oh, okay. you know, I, I still have the Buick. I got a 63 Buick Skylark with a 215 oh. V8 in it. How many cars and do you also, have, Larry? I also got a Eddie Bauer uh, 96 Bronco. The five point eight. So, yeah. Oh, very nice. Yeah. I I can't drive them all at once, unfortunately, but they're sweet cars. I just can't. Well, let, let me know go. if you need some help driving them. Let me know. I'll, I'll be right over. Hey, I'll, I'll right keep on, them on the road man. for you. All right. Thank you, Larry. I appreciate it. Uh, David's calling in. We were talking about Laura Ingram saying that uh, some Americans are exhausted with Trump and they want to turn the page. David, do you feel that way? Uh, actually, no. no I, I just think you know. I like her a lot, Jack, when she had her, her radio station. I think she still has it, but I used to like her sarcasm, her way uh-huh. of pointing things out. She had her radio. I, lo- I used to love that voice, and I was wanting to know uh-huh. who it was. I was that's Laura Ingram. Well, who's Laura Ingram? Well, but no, I just think she does it for ratings. She's going to do it. She did it for a rating thing. And, I, and the only reason you I think she's saying you think she's thing. saying this for ratings? Why, why would you go on Fox, which is a, a network that Trump voters love, and say people are getting tired of Trump? How would that be good for ratings? 
Well, what I, what I mean by that is uh, I, I think I, – I, I don't think late at night, and I'll also make my point real quick, I think the reason, the reason my TV stays on that late at night is because I forgot to change it or I forgot to turn it off. But I do like her. I just okay. think her, her – her, her show comes on a little bit late, and she she wants okay. a little bit of. Oh, okay. That's all right. I, that's all I'm saying. All right, thank you, David. Appreciate it. Um, yeah, I, I I think the the thing with the exhaustion issue. I mean, I get it, and I hear this from people. Um, I and I don't mean this to sound cruel, but you better buck up because if if you believe in what you believe in, if you're if you really mean it. Um, your job will not get any easier once Trump exits the scene. It, it, it won't get any easier. It, it, it might be different. It might be that, that there are other people. I, I believe there are other people that can stand for these ideas and run on these ideas and implement these ideas if elected. But believe me, um, you're, you will, you will be fighting these fights for the rest of your natural life. And I will too. Uh, and and any idea that if we could just get past him, it would be coasting. I I don't I don't believe that at all. I don't know where you'd get that idea. Jr. Paul, what's your daily driver's firepower? Many cylinders under the hood. If there are cylinders, maybe it's electric. Let's talk about that. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Dodge announcing the uh, end. I say for now, not their words, of uh, V eight. Powered cars. Not going to have V8 muscle cars. All right. So, you know how Netflix has their own movies? They make their own uh, movies. And uh, you, you see when you go on Netflix, like the top 10 of the week or the top 10 favorites right now. Um, I don't watch those, but apparently the number one movie right now on Netflix is a movie called Purple Hearts. And it sounds awful. I mean, <laughs> but, but maybe not for the reasons people are saying. It's, it's a rom com. Okay, and Netflix describes it as um, a uh, a woman who's a struggling singer songwriter named Cassie, and uh, a guy named Luke who is a troubled U.S. Marine agree to marry for military benefits, but when tragedy strikes, the line between real and pretend begins to blur. So Purple Hearts is a love story. And um, it's the number one, according to Netflix, it's the number one most streamed Netflix movie. But Netflix is now having to defend Purple Hearts. And even the actress who plays Cassie, whose name is Sophia Carson, I guess she's an up-and-coming star, they're now having to explain why they made the movie because people are saying, get this, that it's military propaganda, that it's a racist movie about killing and hunting Arabs, and that it's wrong to portray a movie in which people of opposite political points of view fall in love and get married, or get married and fall in love, whatever the order is. So in other words, you're shallow enough that you're watching a Netflix movie, but you're so deep that you can't enjoy it because it's military propaganda. It's, it's not possible, according to these whiners, that opposites could attract or that you could uh, love someone or be with someone 
who was the opposite. The guy's a conservative and the girl is a liberal. And that makes it blatant propaganda. It's misogynistic. It's pro-military propaganda. By the way, um, pro-military propaganda? Doesn't Hollywood have like a long history of making movies about the military? It's one of, the, it's one of Hollywood's favorite topics. Where, did these, were these people born last week? Hollywood's been making movies about the military as long as Hollywood's been making movies. And they, they run the gamut. I mean, during World War II, they were making recruitment films, practically. And sometimes they make movies that are critical or introspective about a war. But, but often they make them uh, to celebrate the, the warriors or their lives. The, the biggest movie of this summer is Top Gun Maverick. I hope these people over on Netflix don't find out about Top Gun Maverick. But but you know what jumped out at me? And I, I, I'm not endorsing this movie. I have not seen it. I, I don't plan to see it. I, I don't watch a lot of Netflix, but this is the last thing I would watch if I did. But the thing that amazes me is that it is so offensive to people that the character of Cassie could love a soldier. Imagine what an awful, toxic person you'd have to be to go, oh, that's, that's abhorrent. That would never happen. That, you shouldn't show that. Are they saying, in other words, that if you're in the military, no one would want to be with you? No one would want to be your wife or your girlfriend or your mate or your partner oh. or go to, mo- go to a dinner with you or a movie with you? Oh, no. They're awful. He's pro-gun. <laughs> See, this is the thing. You're not like this. I'm not like this. But unfortunately, there's a small sliver of people who are like this, and we, we cannot get away from them. They're always out there banging and, and raging about something. And this is why you have... You know, this kind of goes to what we've talked about before. Remember we talked about how you have families where, oh, we can't have Thanksgiving dinner anymore. Oh, I don't talk to my brother anymore. I don't talk to my sister anymore because she went to a Trump rally. Or I can't, I can't go to Thanksgiving dinner anymore because my family is politically the opposite of me. And then you know what people do that's so crazy? Then they blame Trump. They go, well, it's because of Trump. So you're not talking to your sibling, and that's Trump's fault? Isn't that, isn't that you? I mean, Trump is Trump exists. Biden exists. Trump exists. These people are not in our lives. If you're not talking to somebody that you should love, that's on you, or 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 him and her or her. Not not Trump or Biden or who. That to me is the, one of the strangest phenomena of our times. That people are acting this way is bad enough. And then they're saying, well, it's not me, it's Trump. Trump made us like this. Trump did this to us. I always ask people, how how exactly did he do this to you? Trump divides our country. Really, how? How is that that he divides the country? There are people that voted for him. There are people that voted against him. There are people that voted for him and didn't like him. There are people that 
liked him, but didn't like him enough to vote for him. I mean, there's all kinds of things, but but he didn't do that. You you're doing that. You're taking that on. And it's freaking Netflix. Just don't you know? Click over to the next thing. No, this movie is is offensive. How can she be with him? They're acting. It's a, it it's not real. So the movie is offensive because she's a liberal, and by the way, she's uh, her character is Latina or Latinx, and he's white. First character is. So they shouldn't be together. They're liberal and conservative. He is pro-gun. He's in the military. He's a Marine. And they should be enemies. How dare you make a movie in which they're together? Purple hearts. And um, the actress, Sophia Carson, um, is trying to defend the movie. She says that uh, the point of the movie is that you see two, you see the two people grow, and um, they overcome their differences. But apparently, the premise of the movie is that when they first get married, it's very cynical. They're trying to get uh, insurance and stuff. She has diabetes, so they're going to get on his plan. I, I don't know. I, I I'm not. I'm not sure what to make of an era in which people are actually viscerally upset about the plot of a movie. I I don't know. We do we not have any real problems? Like everything else is fine. We we can do this. What do you think? 210-599-5555 um, I don't know. I would imagine that if you're in the military or you do, let's say you're in law enforcement, I would imagine you probably meet people all the time who have a preconception of what it is you do or what that means about you. But part of being a mature adult is learning sometimes that what you thought about somebody is wrong or finding out there's more to a person or maybe that you were wrong. So, I don't know. It's These are very strange times that we live in. And, and, and again, I don't mean to... We shouldn't let this small minority of weirdos take over, but th- th- there's no getting away from them. Every time we turn around, there's some new rage about something like this. Rudy is on KTSA. Rudy, good afternoon. How's it going there? Um, I just wanted to comment. So I've never seen the movie, but uh, I'm a, a disabled American veteran, uh, first generation American. My family from Mexico, um, and uh, I, I was raised liberal, became conservative as I went, you know, was in the military. Met my wife, who was who was also liberal and also Hispanic, uh, and you know, I wasn't trying to win her over to conservatism, but just seeing and understanding my position and sharing mm-hmm. and exploring the differences and the commonalities made her open her eyes and see the truth, you know, and, and what we value. And she became conservative. So, you know, it's not far-fetched that that can happen. And it's, it's, a, it's amazing that people get pissed off at the idea that, you know, you can explore differences and it's okay to talk about the differences. 
you know, it, we've become a polarized society. Uh, I have we have some some friends who've been who have been close friends that are they claim anti-Trump. They just seethe and boil at the mention of his name, and it's uh, it, you know, it's it's really a shame. They can't see any yeah. of the positive because yeah. because they just don't like him as a person. I don't get it, you know, because, we, you know, when he was running for president, I know there were people that were afraid of what he was going to do. But now that he's been president, what did he do? What What is it he did that, that you're so afraid of? What is it he did that, that made it impossible for you to have Thanksgiving dinner? Nothing. Exactly. Exactly. The only thing I really have a problem with that he did was he, he didn't drain the swamp. He should have removed these people yeah. when he was in office, yeah. you know, and it, it's come back to bite him in the butt. Amen to that. And, uh, Amen to that. You know, and, uh, it's unfortunate it, it's that way, and, and I, I'm hesitant to reelect him because he didn't do it the first time he was in. Um, yeah, that is a good but, point. I mean, you know, other than that, uh, I thought he did a great job. I didn't like listening to the way he talked. I didn't like the tweets and all that stuff, <laughs> but I could turn that off. Yeah. I didn't hire him for that. Well, Rudy, thank you for your call, and thank, thank you for your service, too. Sure. I think you made some great points. Sure. I'm glad to have, I'm honored to have you in the audience. I'm glad you called uh, today. Thank well, you, Rudy. And right now, we've been talking about um, this Netflix movie that people are freaking out over. Apparently, it's very popular. I mean, apparently, a lot of people have watched it and like it, and maybe now even more people will watch it because it's got a controversy attached to it. But the, the naysayers are upset. They're not upset at the at the acting or the looks of the leads, they're upset with the premise that a liberal girl could fall in love with a conservative boy. What are you doing putting these two together? That's disgusting. I mean, isn't it funny that the left is so... um, We're not allowed to judge anything, right? You can declare yourself any gender, men can have babies. But the idea that liberals and conservatives would love each other, that's the one kind of love that they find deviant and and gross right not allowed to judge anything else but oh no that that's unnatural and yet it happens and this business of trump made us this way you know i had a friend who's like several stopped talking to me but he he was a friend of mine for a while before trump came along and he he um he's hispanic but his family is republican so he tended to vote republican and when Trump was coming along, he was telling me, because he knows what I do, and he was telling me that he was, he was scared. And he couldn't really put his finger on it, but he had this sense of dread or fear of what would happen to him and his family. I mean, they're, they're citizens, they're in the country legally, but somehow he was afraid of a Trump presidency, and then Trump got in and he wouldn't talk to me anymore. But if he was still talking to me, I would ask him, what, what happened to the things you were worried about. You had a strong economy. Um, We had um, a border that worked, at least better than it does now and better than it had in a long time. What what were you... now, Now that you've seen a Trump presidency, what's the fear thing? I mean, okay, if it's a hypothetical, you don't know what he'll do. He's crazy. Okay, but but he's been in. And he didn't, he didn't throw you out of the country. He didn't put people in camps, round them up and put them in camps. But whatever it is that we were told he would do and will do, oh, if he gets back in. Have you ever noticed the people that are always warning you about Trump? He's going to do this, he's going to do that. Almost always the things they warn you about are things they're doing. 
Like all this talk right now that he's a threat to our democracy is coming from people who actually are a threat to our democracy or our republic, as we should more correctly call it. Anyway, um, and, and, and if you're not talking to a sibling because of politics, that's on you. Nobody's making you do that. I mean, you're free to do it. I'm not here to tell you how to live, but don't blame, don't blame Trump for that. That's, 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 that's a decision between you and your sibling. Uh, the president had the signing ceremony today for the, uh, the, I, I, it's hard for me to even say it with a straight face. I can't even say it, period. The Inflation Reduction Act. But I got to play for you this clip. Speaker Pelosi, this is even in the, in the pantheon of, of crazy things that Nancy Pelosi has said. This is top 10. Take a listen to this. Cut number three. How can they vote against the planet? Mother Earth. Mother Earth gets angry from time to time, and uh, this legislation will help us address all of that. Mother Earth gets angry. Does Mother Earth tell Nancy Pelosi? Is Mother is Mother Earth talking to Nancy Pelosi? Like, on the phone? Mother Earth. Mother Earth gets angry from time what? to time. What's a mother? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, they can have them whenever they want them, but we can't have them, right? All right. Oh, it's not nice to fool Mother Nature. Mm-hmm. Exactly. exactly. Mother Nature got angry until we bought chiffon. Uh, Sean Patrick Maloney is a uh, Democratic congressman from New York, but more importantly, he runs their uh, sort of the party-wide congressional campaign. So he's what they call the chairman of the DCCC. I guess there's three C's. Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. So it's his job to fund and elect the maximum number of Democrats to the House of Representatives. And he was doing an interview in New York, and he said that his party, the Democratic Party, has a likability problem. He says, our officials need to stop sounding like MSNBC hosts and sound like normal people. He was asked if Democratic officeholders are out of touch with the voters. And he said, well, the way I've often put this to my colleagues is to say, if our positions and our policies are so popular, why don't they like us more? You'll find agreement from the conservative Democrats to the most progressive that we have a likability problem. He says, we move really fast and we're really passionate about the solutions we want to bring, and sometimes we don't give people enough time to understand what we're doing and bring them along. Well, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, A couple of sentences ago, you were saying it's our fault, you know, the Democrats, now you're saying we're moving so quickly that these rubes in flyover country don't understand how good this is for them. Did you catch the transition there? He started out with a kind of, I'm going to take ownership. We need to stop sounding like fussy elites. But then it turned into, well, we're, we're talking too fast for these people. 
That must be it. That's it. You know what? The Democrats are right about everything. We're just not smart. You and I are just not smart enough to understand it. What they're doing is good for us, but we don't understand it. I I do think, and this, this guy's many years in the past now, but I do think there was one Democrat that probably could have saved the Democrats. And um, and I remember we talked a lot about um, about him, and uh, I think we might have even had him on the show at one point. Do you remember a guy named Jim Webb, James Webb? So Jim Webb was a Vietnam veteran, and... Um, he actually, as a Democrat, he actually served in Reagan's cabinet as the Secretary of the Navy. And then he um, ran for a couple of offices in um, his home state of Virginia. And he wrote some books. He wrote a couple of really good books about politics. I'll, I'll search my memory and get the titles. And he also wrote some novels. He's a good novelist. But James Webb's big thing was that Democrats forgot about Appalachia. They forgot about middle America, what people sometimes call flyover country. He said, that was us. We, that was us. we, were, we were the party for those people. You know, there's pictures of JFK and, and RFK campaigning in places like West Virginia and Kentucky, and they're, they're talking to people that live in tar paper shacks, and they get these people. And there wasn't a Republican to be found in those places. And Webb's point, which I'm oversimplifying, was we forgot about them in our hurry to make the coastal elites happy, in our, in our hurry to make the Democratic Party palatable and fashionable to the coastal elites. We forgot about the middle of the country, but Republicans moved in there and sucked all that up. That's why when you look at those color-coded maps after a presidential election, you might have more electoral votes going to Joe Biden, but the whole middle of the map, virtually the entire landmass of the country, is red. Sean Patrick Maloney thinks that's because they're talking too fast. <laughs> okay. All right. 210-599-5555 on the JR poll. What's under your hood? And I mean that in a totally clean above-board, non-sexual, vehicular way. Just curious to know how many cylinders are you driving around on a daily basis? Eight or more, six, four, fewer, electric. It's our JR poll because Dodge has announced the end of, they say, what will be the end uh, at the end of 2023 of V8-powered muscle cars, the Charger and the Challenger. And... um, and I don't really think it will be the end, but it might be the end for a while. So uh, before our next guest came on the job, I have to tell you, and I she's heard me say this before, um, Bear County elections were really hit or miss, and it was a national embarrassment at how fouled up some of our elections were. When Jackie Callahan became the uh, Bear County elections administrator, that changed very quickly. And these elections have been smooth ever since. She joins us on the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line. And Jackie, I would say that even if you weren't hearing me. So, you know, I, I say the same well, thing when you're not on with us. <laughs> thank you very much. It's a job I, made. I, I, I did hear, though, that you were, um, 
you have experienced what many elections uh, administrators around the state and around the country have experienced, which is there is an increase in the number of people that are either um, expressing doubt or even making threats. Uh, and is that specifically about this November's election, or is that kind of an ongoing thing, or, or what? Well, here in Bear County, it's been an ongoing thing for like the last six years, only on the general election. Mm-hmm. Um, passions just ramp up so high, and uh, things get just a little bit out of hand. And so um, we're doing everything we can to keep everybody as safe and secure, to keep up this great reputation for elections. Can you understand why people are broadly have have become suspicious of voting and whether their vote counts and whether the the tallies we hear statewide or nationwide are are correct? Uh, from looking at it from the inside out, I I have a very hard time understanding that. I do understand you know the national narrative i i understand the suspicion Mm -hmm. but as i can tell you from the inside the integrity of these elections are just absolutely the best that can possibly be i guess what i mean is you you know we hear almost on a daily certainly a weekly basis anecdotes about mishandled mail-in ballots vote harvesting uh, voter rolls where there's over a hundred percent turnout in a in a precinct or something. I don't mean here. I mean around the country. And so, as those things aggregate in your mind, you start to think to yourself, "Am I sure that the results we hear on election night are are real? And and are they accessible to one party or another to manipulate?" Again, I I can only speak for um, the process we have here in Bear County, and as we are tallying the votes, uh, both parties are are in the room and in every step along the way, mm-hmm. from the time a mail ballot application enters the building uh, until it goes to the tabulation room, there are uh, sets of eyes on it, and and again, I'm very proud of the fact that we have both mm-hmm. parties here involved at all times there was a um i I mean i know you know this but there was a a bipartisan commission i want to say maybe 15 17 18 years ago headed up by jimmy carter and and jim baker uh that looked at different um methods of voting and and drew the conclusion that mail-in voting was dangerous that it was susceptible to fraud um is, is mail-in voting, do you think, what has agitated people the most or, or made people suspicious the most? I think, and I think that's occurred here in the last definitely two years. And um, to be quite honest, when we had all the COVID precautions, I don't think that helped uh, as we had all of the focus on drop boxes, which we didn't have here in Bear County. Mm-hmm. And I think... I thought that that just led to the hype that was involved. But uh, again, if if the general public uh, could come down and see the safeguards every step of the way, signatures are matched. I mean, uh, the law is followed. And as I said, to have two sets of eyes on everything helps so much here. You mentioned the drop boxes. 
Um, what do you think about efforts by private foundations and individuals to basically fund election infrastructure? Are you comfortable with that? I'm talking about uh, Mark Zuckerberg and, and others that have said, look, we'll give you the, the money and set up the drop boxes. And Is that something as a public official that you are comfortable with? Uh not necessarily. I, I will say I'm probably more uncomfortable with as the advent of the mail ballot uh, process expands. It it seems to be um, out of the reach of your local offices to handle it in-house. Mm-hmm. And I know there are a lot of third-party vendors that have come up recently that will handle the entire thing. You send them your database, and, and then they mail out the ballots and all that. And and I, I think I'm more concerned about that and the rate that these companies are uh, ramping up to assist uh, each of those counties. Mm. It, it, I mean, this is basic. You're, you're basically the steward of the the crown jewels of democracy, so it's understandable that there'd be all kinds of nefarious people that want to get their hands on the you know the crown jewels i mean votes vote totals right yes you're, you're i mean you're absolutely correct on that and what we're finding and, and again i can only speak for here and and for some of my cohorts here in texas mm-hmm. we are being inundated with open records requests that are asking for source codes of equipment, uh, serial numbers, and all of that information that that we hold so sacred uh, for the conduct of these elections. And so those those uh, open records requests are just drowning us right now mm-hmm. because uh, they've decided that, that that's the way they want to go and they want to see, you know, every, every nook and cranny and every uh, bite of each of the electronic voting machines, the, the tabulators that we have, our ballot printers, and uh, there, there's, it, you know, it's open to a point because the systems that we use are certified by the federal government. Then Texas has its own robust certification that has to go through. So by the time it gets to the county, um, sort of like the tires have been kicked and everybody knows what mm. they're getting. I think there's a, and I, I know I'm guilty of this sometimes too. I sometimes wonder if technology has been, has been a negative rather than a positive. Is it is it a fallacy that paper ballots, non electronic voting, was more secure, or does it just seem more secure? It seemed more secure. There there was definitely that that sense of you were you know you had your pencil and you had your paper. Um, but the accuracy of a absolutely hand counted paper ballot where you have tally sheets and you sit there and you make your tick marks, the accuracy of that was, was proven, um, false. I mean, we just, we had more errors with human counting each of the races. And can you imagine right now with the length of our ballot, if they had to count each race on a ballot, um, and then the advent of the tabulators came in much like scantrons and they were proven to be much more accurate uh there was still a sense that the voter actually held their ballot in their hand as they marked it 
And that seemed to be the best of both worlds. Then we morphed into the all-electronic. And while that served every everyone, it didn't serve the outcry for we missed that paper ballot. Mm-hmm. We missed mm-hmm. that. There's nothing to count. And mm-hmm. so we've now, we're up to the next iteration where we actually have a paper ballot uh, that we can count. And, and here in Bear County, we've had three recounts since then, and they've been very accurate. Mm-hmm. But that they, they, they have, there's that just, we're married to that, let me touch my ballot. Mm-hmm. Let me mm-hmm. see it. Let me touch it. Because, you know, you're giving of your heart and soul when you go vote. As you said, mm-hmm. that's sort of the crown jewel. And I think people need to have something tangible in their hand. Yeah. Um, very well said. And, uh, again, I know these are hard things for you to talk about because you're being careful <laughs> as a person that represents only Bear County. But, obviously, it's a bigger uh, conversation. And, again, those of us that have been here for a long time, it, there's obviously a difference since – you and your team uh, stepped in in what about 2005? Is that right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. Thank you for remember saying the that. bad we old really days. No, it. absolutely. And Jackie, <laughs> thank you for always being available to us, and uh, and thank you for coming on tonight. We appreciate it. But, thank you. Let's stay in touch. Thanks, Jack. Right. Thanks for your support. Bear, bye bye. You got it. Bear County Elections Administrator Jackie Callanan. Jr. Poll asking you how many cylinders under the hood of your daily driver. You know, the, the vehicle you drive to work, to school, the grocery getter. So what is your daily driver? Is it eight or more cylinders? Is it six? Is it four? Fewer? Electric? Dodge announcing they're going to do away with the V8 Challenger and Charger at the end of next year. We're talking about that. We're talking about the um, president signing the Inflation Reduction Act today which does not reduce inflation. I mean, have you you figured out by now that when they give a a new law a name, that's pretty much the opposite of whatever it does, you know? If you know the code, you'll know what's going on. And the, the, the really sad or cynical part of this is that not only does the Inflation Reduction Act not reduce inflation, and that's according to nonpartisan economists, but inflation is a product of government. So the, the people that gave you inflation are promising to rescue you from inflation. This would be like if the, the, the tire companies, you know, like Firestone or Discount Tire, it would be like if they went around and they sprinkled nails all over the highway and then said, well, if you get a flat, we'll be here. That's what the federal government has done with inflation. It's created it. And then it is setting itself up and stunting as the superhero who's going to save you from it. Uh, government borrowing is not necessarily inflationary. We talk a lot about that. But definitely the issuing of currency, flooding the economy with so-called rescue dollars, that has led to and given us the inflation we have now. And governments always claim to help poor people and working people. You know, we're here for the, we're here for the middle class and we're here for the blue collar. But you got to remember, when the government says we're going to tax the rich or we're going to pay for this with the rich, rich people hire accountants and lawyers and consultants and they have mobility of money. They can move their money out of, out of the way, out of the reach of 
whatever the politician's scheme is for that money. Lower income people can't do it. They're just sitting there getting hit. And everyone is worse off with government-generated inflation, but working people and poor people are hit the hardest. So it's nauseating to me. I, 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 can't, I can't even talk about it. Uh, and I know a lot of talk shows today, this was probably the number one topic, that, that signing ceremony. I just can't do it. It's, it's so cynical and uh, almost uh, cruel, really. It's cruel. They know. I mean, I don't know if Biden knows, but, but the people around him know. 210-599-5555. This is an interesting story. So this uh, lady in Denton has made her daughter a bulletproof dress. She has, uh, it took her weeks to do this. She made a dress out of Kevlar for her daughter to wear to school. And there's a whole big explanation. She has an Instagram and she's talking about how um, she was a new mom pregnant with her first baby when Sandy Hook happened and it it, it haunted her. And then, um, you know, all these other shootings and Uvalde. And she's she says, I'm terrified of sending my children to a place where they should be safe but might be shot and killed. Okay, I get that. She's disappointed by the politicians and their response to gun violence. So she has sewn a Kevlar dress for her daughter. What do you think about that? I, I think any parent, every parent, um, would agree with me that we should be disappointed that our schools are not safe. We should be disappointed that our kids, when they go to school, and when we went, we might have been worried about a test we had to take or a paper we had to hand in. Our kids do worry, and they are aware of the, the very real possibility that there'll be a shooter at their school today, tomorrow. But I would hope, and I'm not a parenting expert, so I'll get that out of the way. I have a, I have a daughter, but I'm by no means going to write a book about how to do it. I would think um, the Kevlar dress would be the wrong message. Like, you should absorb and listen to the concerns of your child. You should show that you get it. But, honest to God, this is like skirt over the head, running around like Chicken Little. And it, it's not good for kids to see adults freaking out. Like, that is not a, a, a sign of love. I'm, I'm panicking about your safety. See how much I love you? That would be no, wor- no different than if you were to sit your kids down and, and tell them, hey, we're broke. Or I think my boss is going to fire me next week. You wouldn't do that, right? You'd, you'd say, let me, let me handle this. Let me deal with this. This is not their burden. This is my burden. I'll figure it out. I'm not gonna, not gonna give them sleepless nights and anxiety and whatever would happen. That's that's what you do for your kids. You, for as long as you can, because obviously they grow up, but for as long as you can and for as much as you can. Sometimes you can't 
hide from them or or shelter them from harsh reality. Hey, we're we got to sell our house, or we got to you know we're gonna have to get cut down to one car, or we're gonna have to cut down on going out to eat, or you can't have new clothes. I mean, I, I understand there are times you have to tell them stuff, but a Kevlar dress. Come on, come on, mom. I don't know. What do you think? Two ten five nine nine. 55-55. It's almost like um, there's a style of parenting where you're the adult and you acknowledge that and you hope that your kids can be kids as much as possible and for as long as possible. And then there's like this other style of parenting. I, I frankly don't get it. I hope I'm not offending you, but maybe you do this, but I don't get it. There's this style of parenting where the kid is like your counterpart or your fellow adult or your friend, and like you pour out your anxieties to your kid. I know people that do this, and I'm not hating on them, but man, I, I really do not understand that. And this is the, like the, the style of parenting where you would, you know, overshare. <laughs> you, you, would, you would talk about problems in your marriage or problems with your dating or problems with your work or problems with somebody somebody who's giving you a hard time at work. In other words, this idea is, well, they're there to listen to me and they're there to hear my anxieties. And I think, no, I, I think it's the other way around. You're there for them. So if you're worried about school and safety, and, and you should be, increasing their anxiety about it is not the the right play. I mean, does that make sense? I don't know if I'm explaining this well or not, but it it seems like that would be the wrong thing to do. Tell me what you think. 210-599-5555. NASCAR announced that they will start um, incorporating electrification in a couple of categories. And uh, Don and I were just talking off the air about whether there would be an, an all-electric NASCAR. Um, I mean, it's hard to know what will happen in the long way off future, but in the near future, I would think no. I would think, and I could be wrong, and I mean, Trey knows a lot more about this than I do, but I would think that um, if NASCAR did that, that would be one of the all-time great misunderstandings of who your fan base is. Because we've just got people today, I mean, I'm being flooded with emails from people, some of whom email me a lot and some of whom I've never heard from before today, who want to tell me about their V8 car that they drive every day. And if there's this much enthusiasm out on Loop 410 for driving a gasoline-powered V8, I'm pretty sure people that watch them go around and around on television do not want to see them pulling into the pit to, you know, charge up. I just I can't see it. I I just can't. Maybe maybe in fifty or a hundred years from now, I don't know, but but not in the near future. I wouldn't think so. What do you think? Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. It's pretty clear that people like choices and um electric should just be a choice. I think there is a kind of opposition to electric that is powered by, pardon the pun, the knowledge that politicians are pushing it. You say electric car to me, I see Pete Buttigieg's very punchable face. (laughs) Immediately. I'm sorry. He's probably a nice guy. I don't know. 
But right away, I think these smug SOBs, no, I'm not. When I'm ready, I'll do it, but you're not making me do it. That's ridiculous. You have no plan. You don't have a grid that can support it. It's not practical for a lot of people in a lot of places around this country. Talked the other day about uh, emergency evacuations. No, no, no thank you. No thank you, Mr. Pete. I don't know. What do you think? 210-599-5555. This is an interesting story. Daily Wire. Um, Ford and General Motors have just unveiled price increases for their, their electric vehicle lineups as the Inflation Reduction Act becomes law. Citing significant material cost increases and other factors, Ford's announcement revealed price hikes between 6000 and 8000 for its electric vehicles. And just coincidentally, the price hikes seem to be about the same size as the $7,500 tax credits for new electric vehicles included in the so-called Inflation Reduction Act. What do you know? The government is making... X amount of dollars available for electric cars, and the makers of the cars just upped the price by that amount. Where have we seen that before? Oh, I know. Higher education. More loans and aid. Higher tuitions. Funny how that works. I'm not faulting them. It's basic economics. Taking advantage of the available money. But, of course, the assertion from the Democrats is that these tax credits will accelerate the adoption of electric cars. Well, the automakers have just said, we'll see you and raise you. 210-599-5555. You know, it's funny how we got here, but if you think about it, the last time the government tried to dictate the marketplace for cars, it blew up in their face. And that's why I think this will, too. Have you ever wondered why so many people drive full-size pickup trucks and full-size SUVs and why those are so popular? They sell as fast as the dealers can get them in. Do you, have you ever wondered why? I mean, maybe you like them, but have you ever stopped to think, why is that so? And the real reason why we love our big trucks and big SUVs is because big cars went away. Six-passenger cars, cars with a big trunk, cars that a family could travel in or go go on a trip in, went away. And they went away because over a, a period of several administrations, these EPA uh, cafe restrictions meant that car companies could abide by making smaller and smaller cars, more and more fuel-efficient cars, but then there was this separate category for full-size trucks. So the intent was to pressure the automakers into making more fuel-efficient cars. They did. Cars got smaller and smaller. The trunks got smaller and smaller. The passenger compartments. But if you wanted the features, the the usability of a, of a big car, it was sitting there right on the lot in the form of an F-150 or a Suburban or whatever. And, and that's what people are doing. And it's the unintended consequences thing. And, of course, the big truck is far less efficient than, say, a six-passenger sedan would have been. 
takes up more room in parking lots and on the road, more threats to pedestrians. So every time they try to steer and dictate the market, not only do they not get the outcome they wanted, they make things worse. I think they're doing it now. We'll see. Mike is on 550 and 1071 KTSA. So, Mike, will NASCAR go all electric, do you think? I don't know that it, it is possible for them to literally do it and get away with it, but to coin what you had said earlier, it's obvious NASCAR doesn't care about their fans. You didn't say they don't care. You said it's obvious. To me, it's obvious that they don't care about their fans, just like NFL, NBA, and all these other major entities don't. Because as a motorsports fan, I have not ever seen a calling for or a swelling of interest in electric motorsports. We motorsports fans aren't out here clamoring and buying for and <laughs> and purchasing electric no. vehicles. So for NASCAR no. to pull this junk out, it's no, no different than the rest of it. Yeah, yeah. It seems like it seems like all of a sudden the people that run major sports have no idea who's in the seats and who's in the TV audience. Well, for me, it, I'm going to call it how I see it. And this leftist ideology or whatever it is, it seems like the world's fastest growing religion because yep. it makes no sense to do so many self-destructive things unless your belief or your ideology, you know, is just convincing or influencing you to do so. But... Yeah. All of these entities and businesses seem like they couldn't care less about us fans or us consumers. Yep. And I agree. so come hell or high water, they're going to do it. And there really ain't much we're going to be able to say about it because they don't seem to care much. Yeah. No, I think, I think in the short term, it's fanaticism. It's not, it's not knowing who your fan base is. It's just a, an ideological fanaticism. Mike, great call. Thank you, sir. So a story in the news, uh, Christian, about a, um, a Dr. Howard Tucker who, according to the Guinness World Records people, is the world's oldest practicing doctor. He is 100 years old. Would you go see him for an appointment? You know, I think I might. Because I'm, I'll bet you anything. You could probably talk to him. I'll bet he doesn't rush his patients. I'll bet he doesn't throw a lot of, you know, mumbo-jumbo terminology at them. I, I, would, probably, I would probably be the kind of guy that would like a 100-year-old doctor he only works two days a week and he works out of the saint vincent medical center in cleveland so i'll bet he does ha- mute for me i'll bet he does house calls you can afford to remember that probably has that little black bag yep most surprising thing i was surprised to read this he was actually he was joe biden's pediatrician so a lot of people did no i'm i'm making that <laughs> i was gonna say well <laughs> didn't know that part. no 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 <laughs> that would be too good to be true Uh, The folks at Dodge, which is now part of a company called Stellantis, which is one of the worst names for a car company I've ever heard. It sounds like something you should ask your doctor about, right? Ask your doctor if Stellantis is right for you. Um, But Stellantis is the brand umbrella for Chrysler and Dodge and Jeep and Fiat and a bunch of uh, other Euro uh, manufacturers. Dodge has announced that uh, they will stop producing the current V8 Challenger and Charger models at the end of next year, and that those vehicles will be replaced by an all-new platform, so the actual cars will be different, and they will be all and only electric. 
Now, the modern Dodge Charger uh, came back, I want to say, in the mid-2000s, like maybe 04, 05, um, as a, you know, kind of a retro idea, rear eng- uh, rear-wheel drive, big sedan, uh, six- and eight-cylinder engine choices, and then they brought out the Challenger uh, Coupe a few years later. And, of course, those names go back to the muscle car era <clears throat> of the 60s and 70s. And um, they did a lot of things with the Hemi, the Hemi marketing, and and they brought back all the different uh, option packages and nameplates and and what have you. Um, so not every Challenger and not every Charger is is a V8. If you rent a Charger from Hertz or something, it's probably going to be a six cylinder car. But um, but that's kind of that was kind of their image car for a while, and um, and they're gonna they're gonna stop making them, and they're gonna go electric. And I, I really have to tell you, and, and I sound like somebody that hates electric cars or is against them. I'm really not. If they were an option, an alternative, I'd be very intrigued by them and interested in them. My, my objection to them is the political part. I, I object to politicians who I know do not favor your freedom who do not want you to have freedom of mobility and freedom to go wherever and whenever you want, who actually have a vested interest in being able to socially engineer by keeping people on public transportation or or limiting private vehicle ownership. I mean, we know that's what they want. I am just very down on what they're doing, forcing the hands and, and, and coercing people and trying to shame people and this whole shell game of we're going to give you credit tax credits, but the price of the vehicle goes up by the same amount as the tax credit. That's my problem with it. you know. But if it's an option, if it's an, a, a choice, yeah, do what you want, get what you want. Um, but I don't even think this is the end. I, I really don't. It may be the end for now. I may not live to see the day. But I really think there will be the winds will blow in another direction. Um, and you will watch these car companies. The, the, the bottom line for them is the bottom line. And if they feel like in the future there is an, a regulatory environment that will allow them to, the cars will get bigger again. They'll get more interesting again. They will get uh, internal combustion again. Now, this can't take too long, or we'll have a whole generation of people that won't remember and won't, care about this stuff but i don't think it'll take that long that's just my opinion that's just my prediction i can't prove it you may disagree we can talk about it 210-599-5555 what is a car that they don't make anymore that you wish they still did maybe you had one maybe you never had one maybe you always were going to get one and you never got one like maybe you you always hoped you'd one day own a ford thunderbird they don't make them anymore What's a car that you wish they still made? Car, truck, American, foreign. It can be something that recently went away. It can be something that went away a long time ago. Car that you wish they still made. 210-599-5555. We're going to talk about that. We're going to get your votes in on the um, JR poll about uh, cylinders. I saw where, um, by the way, there are a couple of car companies that are quietly bucking this whole, um, 
lemmings running off a cliff thing. Toyota is one of them. Toyota is, is one of the biggest car makers in the world. And their executives have publicly said they do not think the future is all electric. They are keeping their options open. They just announced uh, the other day that they're doing a venture with BMW uh, that will be hydrogen cell cars. The thing about hydrogen is it takes a lot of energy to make hydrogen. So you have, you have to have electricity to make hydrogen. So now there's this term called green hydrogen where you're making hydrogen by using um, clean electricity or cleaner electricity to generate it. But they believe that there is going to be a future with more than one kind of power plant or propulsion. Right now, hydrogen fuel cells are, are expensive and somewhat complicated, but, you know, companies like Toyota and BMW have done complicated things before. So I, I think that's intriguing. I think that's interesting. And I, I give the, the Toyota executives who are under a lot of the same pressure that American auto executives are under and from their government as well, I give them a lot of credit for, for standing up and saying, you know what, we're not, we're not completely buying in on this electric car thing. Good for them. And then I, I think um, it's likely that we will reach a point where there will be somewhat of a backlash. We're not there yet. Because right now, if you're driving an electric car right now, you, you, you wanted to. But there's going to come a point where people will feel they're being forced into it, herded into it. I think when that happens and there's that hell no kind of backlash, that's a business opportunity for somebody, right? I mean, Tesla was a reaction to, hey, people are interested in this and it's not being made. That'll happen again and again and again, I I believe. Unless... Unless I'm wrong and the governments go all socialist and nationalize the auto industry, but if there is if there is money to be made off your desires, somebody will make it. That's what I think. You know who else is a big-time car buff is Dennis Foley, our news director, and he was just reminding me, we were going back and forth on Messenger, that the Charger and the Challenger that Dodge announced today they're going to phase out were themselves... The, uh, I guess you could say the, the second act or the comeback of cars that people thought we would never see the likes of again. Rear wheel drive, muscle cars. Oh, that's over. That's done. We're not going to do that anymore. People don't want that anymore. They brought them back and those cars helped save Dodge and they sold a ton of them. There is a, a, a interest in and a demand for vehicles that handle that way. And, you know, maybe not, maybe if you've never driven one, you'll never care or be curious about it. But as long as there are people who remember that a rear wheel drive car feels different, steers different, uh, there's going to be a demand. And I, I just, I would, I know a lot of the news about everything from cars to auto racing is pretty depressing these days. But just remember, we've, we've been here before. We've heard all this. It's over before. And a lot of times it's not over. It's a really cool thing. I I read a lot of different car blogs because I have no life. And uh, there was a story about, apparently in, um, let me go back. In the the, uh, 50s and 60s, Chrysler had a brand called Imperial. Later on, they made Chryslers that were 
model named Imperial, but Imperial was its own division at Chrysler, along with Dodge and Plymouth and DeSoto. And so this was their high-end, you know, limousine-level car. And they made a very, very um, special version of uh, their full-size limousine in 1953. They made three of them, and they made them in a Phaeton body style which meant that the rear seat compartment was a separate enclosed compartment from the the front seat. Think of like, um, you know, the bubble top limo that President Kennedy was in, or sometimes maybe if you've seen old movies where the, the chauffeur is sitting in front in a uniform and he's open to the elements, and then there's this enclosed passenger compartment. But anyway, they made three of these, and they were for parades. Two of them went to New York City, and one of them went to Los Angeles. They only made these three. And apparently, New York still has their 1953 Imperial Parade uh, limousines. And the, the article talked about the history of them, all the famous people that have ridden in them, kings and emperors and VIPs and returning war heroes and the, the uh, Apollo 11 astronauts, um, Here's an interesting fact. John Glenn was the only uh, person ever to ride in the 53 Imperial twice because he rode in it uh, after his his uh, Mercury orbit, and then he rode in it. Remember when he became the oldest man to fly in the shuttle back in the 90s? He rode in it again. But a lot of different ceremonial moments and parade moments uh, have featured these cars, and New York owns and maintains this one Imperial Crown uh, dual cowl uh, limo, and um, they don't know when they don't know when they're going to use it again. It just depends on when there's an occasion or a situation or a visiting dignitary. Uh, they have a special building they maintain it in, and uh, like I said, two went to New York and one went to L.A. and um, these cars have had to be repainted and upholstered a few times, but they are mostly original and very low miles because they only they don't go anywhere else. They're only used for these uh, parade and ceremonial uh, purposes. Pretty cool. I I wonder how long that will go on, and can you imagine the market for something like that? If that, if, the, if the city decided, hey, we're going to sell it, my goodness, the bidding would be unbelievable. I'll tell you, this economy is rough, but um, people are paying phenomenal amounts of money for collectible classic cars. And uh, I'm not, but people are. And good for them. I hope to become friends with people like that. Uh, Speaking of the economy, this is probably not going to shock you. Remember during 2020 when all the progressive politicians were demanding Uh, cancellation of rent, rent moratoriums. And it was almost as if they thought that anyone that owned a rental property must be, you know, Thurston Howell III, right? Like you're you're rolling in money, you're super rich, and you're curling the uh, ends of your greasy little mustache as you evict the poor widow. So they were saying, uh, we want uh, rent and mortgage payments uh, canceled. We want no evictions. Well, now it turns out, according to financial disclosure statements, that these same progressive members of Congress, like Rashida Tlaib, Ayanna Presley, 
and several others, Ilhan Omar, they are landlords. And they did not suspend the rent on their properties during 2020 and 2021. The Washington Examiner has obtained the financial, their public, their public records. Somebody just had to go look them up. And so at the time we were told because of the public health emergency, um, there should be a moratorium, but a moratorium also meant that if you were the, the property owner, you were basically having to, you know, you were having to pay your bills. You were having to pay your mortgage. You were having to keep up these properties. You had no income from them. And you couldn't complain about that or you were mean and you hated people and you wanted them to get COVID and die. And you probably voted for Trump. Well, it turns out these, these holier-than-thou, hypocritical, squad Congress critters themselves, while this was going on, were collecting the rent. I mean, not personally, but you know what I mean. I guess it would just be nice, and I know I'm not going to get my wish here, but would it be great if we had politicians who, before they demanded that we do something, just did it? I don't mean did it while we did it. I mean, you go for, you guys go first. If X is a great idea, you do it first. You first. If you're going to make it a requirement, if you're going to make it the law, if you're going to visit this upon others, let me see you live with it first. Let's see you go first. Right? That's what we, that's what, when people dare you, you, that's what you say to them. Well, you first. You jump first. You know, you show me yours and I'll show you mine, right? That's, that's human nature. It'd be great if just like once in a while they lived by what they preach. I know, I know, never going to happen. What else do you want, Jack? <laughs> So write your letter to Santa Claus while you're at it. How can they vote against the planet? Mother Earth. Mother Earth gets angry from time to time, and uh, this legislation will help us address all of that. Mm. You know, um, she sounds like a crazy lady, and then you remember she's uh, basically two heartbeats away from the presidency. One of those heartbeats is Joe Biden. The other one is Kamala Harris. Yes. Then, Then it's not so funny. All right, this half hour, the results on our JR poll. Uh, and I was asking the question, what's a, what's a car they used to make that you, maybe you had one back in the day and you've never gotten over it. You wish you'd kept it. Maybe you were always going to get one and now they don't make them anymore. Uh, my, um, I know I've talked about this before. Bear with me if you've heard me say this before, but my absolute top of the list, nothing even comes close would be an early to mid sixties. Lincoln Continental. I mean, the year you want is the 61, the first year. But 
until it got really bulky and kind of overweight in the late 60s, they were really beautiful cars. They changed a little bit from year to year, but 61 to about, I don't know, mid-60s, that, that is such an amazing, cool, unique design. And the irony is um, my dad had one when I was born, but they got rid of it before I would have even been old enough to remember it or have known what it was. I was in it. But I didn't appreciate it. Um, I had a T-Bird in the in the 90s, but the ones you want are the 50s and 60s Thunderbirds, you know. Um, Firebirds from the 70s. Any Eldorado, Riviera, Toronado. I'm a sucker for those big uh, front-wheel drive GM cars. Love those. Um, my, my, I guess for foreign... My my dream car has always been like an early 60s Jaguar XKE. I made a model of one when I was a kid. You know the car. Even if you're not a car person, you know that. It, the, the, the car you imagine when you hear the name Jaguar is the XKE. You've seen it. They're incredible. I don't know how they are to own, but they're beautiful looking. And a Porsche 944 was the car when I was a young man that was aspirational. It was, it was really the car that saved Porsche for a while there. And uh, Porsche's going great, and they're still making cars, but they don't make the 944, and I love that. So those are a few of mine, 210-599-5555. We'll get to the poll results and the car you wish they still made. Curly's on the radio. Hi, Curly. Good afternoon, Jack. Uh, Good to hear you. In 2000, and I think it was three or four, Volkswagen made a uh, model they called a Phaeton, Yes, and uh, the it wasn't a phaeton, but they called it that. Yeah, right, correct. But um, one of them had a W twelve in it Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. motor, and the other one had a V ten twin turbo diesel. And uh, either one of those are just phenomenal vehicles. Um, The other uh, vehicle is a two thousand and nine. Uh, Q7, Audi Q7 with a with a five liter, I'm sorry, a six liter uh, twin turbo diesel uh, V12, and mm. both of those are 185 mile an hour vehicles. Just just blow your mind. They were just amazing. Now let me ask you this: Would you go 185, or do you just want to feel? The, do, you, do you just like knowing that you could? Well, it's just kind of nice knowing that. Well, you've got all available speeds through uh, Transwarp Drive, if necessary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I might never hit it, but I like knowing it's there. Those are good choices, yes, Curly. Sir. That would be an amazing. That would be an amazing garage. What you just described right there. Thank you, sir. Uh, Raymond is on KTSa. Hi, Raymond. Hey, how you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, so it's funny that you you brought it up because I just finished reading an article. Um, so my dream car, first off, would be a, a 71 Challenger. Um, yeah. I had a 2014 Charger RT, but so I read that Dodge, in uh, after 2023, they're going to stop making um, Challengers and Chargers right. uh, because they're going to focus on e-cars now. So yep. that's kind of a bummer. Now, do you think that that is permanent, or do you think, I mean, because the, the, the current Charger and Challenger are themselves you know, comeback cars, retro cars. So I wonder if the these cars will come back a third time. 
You know, and, and I was thinking, you know, since I've seen those demonstrations with the new, you know, e-hummer and all that stuff, I mean, they're pretty quick, um, but you can't beat, you know, internal combustion and, you know, all that stuff. So I don't know. I was I was joking with my uh, with my boss and saying I'll buy the last year so the 2023 hold it in my garage so when I pass yeah. away my girls can sell it for like quadruple the price. Oh yeah, I think that's you know when they come out with those last year models, I'll bet a lot of them go right into storage. The you know the, they'll drain it all out. They'll put it on in dry storage, climate controlled. And you're right, that'll be somebody's college fund. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But- Lo and me, I won't be able to, you know, I'll be tempted to drive it all, all day. Every day so. <laughs> I would be the same way. I don't know how people do I don't have the discipline. If I had a car like that in a storage unit, I'd be sneaking out at night. I'm with you on that. Raymond, great choices. The 71 Challenger. I want, I want to say, Don, wasn't the 71, or wasn't that era of Challenger, isn't that what, what Mannix drove? I don't know what, if he, I don't, did he drive a, did he have a I don't Dodge think so. or a Plymouth? Maybe it was, it was a Plymouth. A, I think it was a Plymouth. It was a Plymouth, yeah. but it was that same body style. Mm-hmm. It was just the Plymouth version. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking it would have been what a Barracuda. Would the Plymouth have been a Barracuda? Yes, it would have. Challenger, yes, Barracuda, mm-hmm. yeah. the Barracuda. That was a interesting car. My dad had a '57 Chevy Nomad with a 283 oh, engine in there. Yes. It had red and black interior, and I I have fond memories of that. And that's that's the car that I've always wished that I could. Yeah. Um, Owned in my garage. Because uh, a again. Nomad is what made a station wagon cool. Most station wagons are the furthest thing from cool that you could possibly yes. have. But yes. a Nomad, because it's basically the Bel Air of station yes. wagons, it's an amazing it, it, car. It had certain details on it that the regu- you know, the normal 57 Chevy station wagon did not have. Right. And right. uh, a lot of it had to do with trim and, and uh, just... Special certain one, things about it. If you could have one, would you want it to be stock or would you want it to be like oh, it would, uh, modded? Up? Oh no, it, it would have to be stock. No doubt about that's, that. That's yeah, why I like yeah. you, Don. Yeah, it was two. It was a two eighty three automatic, and uh, um, I remember all the gold trim on it. My my dad had to sell it, and he, ever from the day that uh, you know from that he took his last breath, that was one car he regretted getting rid of. Yeah. He always wished yeah. he had it back. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's, and that's, that's the thing about those cars. Like, I don't know if we're ever, are we ever going to feel that way? Is somebody going to be on their deathbed going, I should never have sold that Camry? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if we're, you know what I mean? I mean, I, 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 I admire the, the convenience and the reliability of modern cars, not, not to take away from them, but are we ever going to feel that way about them? Uh, I don't know. It's interesting. That's really the X factor in this whole conversation because when we keep talking about, people will want and the companies will bring this or that back what we don't know is what future consumers will want if they grow up in an era of only electric cars and the way those perform and the pluses and minuses of them perhaps there never will be another you know internal combustion era i I don't know I, i think there will be i do but but it's hard to say i mean you go into your house, you turn on an electric light, you don't wish it was a candle. You know, but but maybe, maybe, maybe uh, there will be just enough memory of or nostalgia for these things. Um, and Lord knows if there is, you know, somebody will build it. 210-599-5555. And I was thinking, too, um, 
I wonder if the um, as the, all this stuff is happening and they're they're phasing things out and they're saying we're going to go all electric and we're going to do this and that. I, I wonder if that will make more um, more collectible or make more gasoline-powered cars collectible that otherwise wouldn't have been. And I mean, some cars are obviously going to be in a... I mean, if you buy any any year of any Corvette, you know, obviously that's going to be a car that people will always want to look at and ooh and ah over. But maybe we'll have a lot more nostalgia just for any car that has a gas tank in it someday. I don't know. It's funny how that could work. Funny how that could happen. You... You know, once it's gone is when you miss it. And a lot of the cars I just mentioned, um, people were not expecting to be as fond of or to miss as much as it turned out that they did. And um, now there's great, there's there's even great um, collectability and nostalgia now for even like 80s cars. And it's weird to me as a child of the 80s to see people paying big money for like an, an 84 Eldorado or an 85 Riviera. Because when I was a kid, you know, your uncle drove one, but you weren't all hyped up about them and excited about them. But now they look differently to us, don't they? And they look good to us. Uh, 210-599-5555 or jack at ktsa.com. Uh, cars you wish they still made, JB, says the International Harvester Scout. I just read an article about the history of that and the demise of of that company and as a you know as a uh, maker of passenger cars at least and yeah the scout was there that was really ahead of its time that that thing was ahead of the craze the mania for SUVs if it had been around later it probably would have it would probably still be around today to be honest people loved them uh kim says she misses ltds and Crown Vicks. I'm surprised I didn't mention that. Yeah, I miss those too. That's a good choice. And um, a lot of people mentioning uh, different, a uh, lot, of, lot of calls about uh, Corvettes and uh, either had them or wish they had them or remember craving them. Uh, Perry says, uh, 63 split window Corvette with the 427, 1999 Subaru WRX STI, and a 2005 Z06 Corvette. Those are all good choices. 210-599-5555. Marshall's on KTSA. Hi, Marshall. Hey, Jack. Good evening. Good evening. So I'm, a, I'm a child of the 70s, so if nobody called up and said the Pontiac Firebird that Burt Reynolds drove and Smoking the Bandit, I don't oh, know yeah. what they're thinking. Oh, yeah. Then, oh, that, that movie must have sold a ton of those. I don't know if you saw the episode of Gas Monkey Garage when I think Burton Reynolds was fixing to pass away. They took a, they restored one, took it down there, and he autographed it for him and stuff. That was an awesome episode. That car is beautiful. That, that it really is. And of all the Firebirds they ever made, that black, you know, uh, paint job with the golden screaming eagle on the hood. It, there was never a better looking American sports car yeah. than that. That was incredible. Yeah, good choice. Thank you, Marshall. In fact, there's a lot of. It turns out there's a lot of uh, 70s Trans Ams with Burt Reynolds' autograph because people who have them, if they are maintaining them as, you know, not daily drivers, but, you know, as collectibles or showing them and stuff like that, they'll take them 
not anymore, of course, but when he was alive, they would take them to where he was, and he autographed them. He would autograph the, the dashboard or the glove compartment box or the hood or whatever people wanted. So there's actually quite a few of them with his with his autograph. Um, speaking of cars, I thought this was weird and sad. Listen to this. Homelessness is a spiraling problem in every major American city. It's one of the reasons New York is freaking out about Governor Abbott's buses. But in Denver, the um, city council has um, started a safe parking program for people living in their vehicles. The safe parking program, because it's estimated that one to 2,000 people in the Denver area are living in their cars, but there are strict laws on where a car can be parked overnight and for people to be in one. Um, and the, the laws were written mainly for, like, campers and RVs, but now people are in regular cars that way. So they're creating um, basically special parking zones for people to live in their cars. You see where I'm going with this, right? Instead of helping people live in their cars, we should be, I would think, helping people not live in their cars. I'll never understand that. I will never understand. I mean, I I, I realize you've got, you know, the whole teach a man to fish sometimes doesn't work in the immediate moment. But, boy, I don't know, m- making the idea that, Living in your car is normal, and we're going to help you do it. That's just very, that's giving up. You know, that's not the best we can do for people. I mean, if some dude wants to live in his car because that's his thing, I'm not going to interfere, but like a family living in a car, that's dysfunctional. That's sad. That's tragic. If you're going to spend my tax dollars, spend it to get them the hell out of the car, not, oh, here's a place you can park it. This just seems weird to me. I will not. I will never understand politicians like that. Here's a lady who says, "I guess I don't know if I'm allowed to call her a lady. She's a anti-racist feminist. She says it's um, rude to ask people where they are from. No matter how sweetly you ask it," says Ujuanya. "Where are you from?" is not a polite question. I gotta, I gotta ask you about that tomorrow because I thought learning about other people was respectful. I thought being curious about other people was respectful. It doesn't mean that you brace a complete stranger on the street. Hey, where are you from? But I mean, in the course of talking to somebody or encountering them or getting to know them or they come to work at your place or whatever, what, why would it be rude to, to ask where you're from? And most people are happy to tell you where they're from. I know I am. Also very happy to be from there and here instead. But that's another conversation, which we'll have tomorrow. I'll see you back here at 4 or anytime on demand on the Jack Riccardi page at KTSA.com.